But let's start in the Bible, and let's start with this verse, um, in Habakkuk 2.14. If you've got your Bible, it's really useful to turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is uh, a really amazing book, three short chapters, but really um, all of the Christian life is right there. As you know, um, both Paul and the writer of the Hebrews are going to quote uh, that very famous verse from Habakkuk, um, the righteous rules by faith. Um, and the verse that's on the screen behind you is also from Habakkuk, right in the middle of five rows that the Lord pronounces over the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are these wicked people who will come and punish Israel for their wickedness and their rebellion. And Habakkuk, when he finds out that that's going to happen, just can't believe it, if you remember in chapter 1. He's pleading out to God and he's saying, God, you see the wickedness in Israel, what are you going to do about this wickedness? And the Lord says, I'm going to punish the Israelites with uh, the army from the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk says, but the Chaldeans are even more wicked. And God says, the righteous will live by faith. If you're going to understand what I'm doing in this world, you're going to believe what I'm saying and trust me. You're going to have to have faith in my word, faith in what I do, even if you don't understand it, even if you don't grasp it. You've got to hold on to what I say in faith. Uh, and then there are five rules that the Lord pronounces um, against the Chaldeans. And right in the middle, so the central rule uh, that God pronounces against the Chaldeans, contains this amazing promise that is behind us. Um, it's at the same time a threat of judgment against the Chaldeans and also a wonderful promise for the people of God that God will work in his world to do his will. Um, this verse is very personal for me because when I was about 15, um, the Logos Hope came into the port in Belfast. Who's been to the Logos Hope? Uh, one of those boats, the Dudos or the Logos. Yeah, somebody has been there. Does anyone else know what they are? They're OM ships and they travel around the world. They're essentially big floating libraries, Christian bookshops. And, and they stop in different ports and then people go onto the boats and discover the Christian faith through the literature that's on the boats. So it's really a remarkable thing um, and it's really interesting. So the, the Logos Hope came to Belfast and docked and our youth group went to the Logos Hope. And I bought a map of the world um, which I then went back and put in my teenager's room. Uh, I love maps. I don't know if loves maps. They're just amazing. I'm kind of regretful now that everything's on a smartphone and look at it. I chance to open a big map and look at a map as often as you used to. At any rate, this map then went up on my wall, and on this map was this verse, right at the bottom. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And also a very evocative verse for the kind of mission that the Lucas Hope had. Uh, and there was all the countries of the world called, coloured all their different colours, with all the sea coloured blue, and that verse right in the middle, pulsating. And every night, every morning, and every afternoon I would see it. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. At age 15, I'm, I'm sure I didn't understand it. At age 46, I'm pretty sure I still don't understand it. But I'm beginning to grasp what it means. Um, it's really interesting, uh, as you think about that, that idea that Habakkuk is putting forward, it comes in different forms and in different shapes and sizes throughout the Bible, uh, with different changes here and there. But, but Habakkuk has its fullest expression. Sometimes, as I will say, for example, uh, the earth will be filled of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And there your mind goes to mountains and seas and the, the beautiful natural creation that God has uh, established, which does indeed display his glory. But when Habakkuk says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's talking about human beings. 
He's talking about people created in the image of God. They're the only things in the whole of God's creation that can know God's glory. And so when Habakkuk is talking here, when God is talking to Habakkuk, when Habakkuk is relaying it to us, Habakkuk is saying, there is coming a time when the earth will be filled with people made in the image of God who know the glory, who have knowledge of, who are able to understand, take in, and recount back to God in praise and to others in magnificent testimony that God is glorious. He is the only glorious one. That his glory is resplendent, that his glory is great. That, as we see in Psalm 29, all of his temple cries glory as we see who God is. And Habakkuk is being promised that one day that knowledge, that experience will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, if you think about that, that's an amazing thing to think about. The waters cover the sea totally. There's not a a single centimetre of the sea that's not covered by water. That's the very definition of what it means to be a sea. And Habakkuk is being told, and he believes by faith, that this will, in fact, be the case. That one day, all of the earth, all of its countries, all of its languages, will be filled to the brim with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now that is the reason I do what I do. That is the reason I'm in Paris uh, trying to plant churches around the Paris area. Why? (coughs) Because as I look around the Paris area, I see towns all around me where far from being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is totally absent. It's not just a party there, it's just totally absent. The time I came to pastor in uh, Lagny-sur-Mam, just to the east of Paris, a town of about 25,000 people, one evangelical church um, that I came to pastor. Uh, and when I came to pastor this church in 2006, there were about 80 people in the church. So something similar to the, the people in this room, I, I reckon, more or less. The church had a plan to plant uh, another church uh, about half an hour down the road, into a town of about 10,000 people with zero evangelical churches. And some of the people in the church lived down there. And so, a year and a half after I arrived in Landy Church <coughs> in 2006, um, 30 people left the church and went and planted a new church. Uh, among those people who left were two elders, the Sunday school people, the youth fellowship people, the treasurer, the secretary, the president of the association, a um, couple of missionaries, and all the big donors. To the extent that the church plant was supporting the mother church <laughs> for the first three years of his existence. And I remember that when uh, that happened, I came into the church before the first service after we left. I took away lots of chairs. I rearranged the chairs that were left <laughs> so it looked less empty. And I thought, what are we going to do? But in a sense, I, I wasn't doubting. I wasn't fearful because it was obvious and logical to me that if there was a church here in Lanyi that was able to witness to the people in Lanyi, well, then there needed to be a church down in Fahmentier where there were zero evangelical churches and where nobody had a chance to glimpse the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so, we sent these people and they supported us and they helped us out. <coughs> a few weeks later, somebody from the congregation came to me and said, we need to plant a new church in Val because there's going to be 50,000 people there and there are zero evangelical churches there. That's where Disneyland is going to be built. That's where everything is going to happen. We need to plant a church there. Uh, and I said, you're dead right. We need to start to plant a church there. 
And so we started planting plant church in Valdehop, where there was zero evangelical churches, where Mickey Mouse was known and the glory of Disney was adored, but where Jesus was unknown, unnamed, and unworshipped. And that's the wrong way around, obviously. And so we started planting the planted church, and we failed miserably. And uh, what happened was this uh, lovely American, I don't think against Americans. Are there, are there any Americans here? Oh, one. I have nothing against Americans. I love Americans. But this lovely American, and he said, can I help you? And I said, of course you can. I kind of checked his pulse. He was alive. And he said he loved Jesus, and we just went for it. And he did love Jesus, but he wasn't equipped or called to be a church planter. And so, my fault, we failed in planting that church. And when that happened, um, faced with the vast need that we saw around us in France, not just in the Paris area, but all across France, uh, faced with my inability to do it well, uh, we thought we need to find a way that we can assess and train church planters better. And that's when Axe came on the scene and helped me to think that through um, and invite, uh, invited me to be the one to go and plant the church in Val and that's where I currently am. Um, the church then continued to clean and think about church planting uh, and we planted uh, in the last 10 years um, the church down in Farmacia, the church in Val a church in Shell, which is 50,000 people with zero evangelical churches, and a church in Chatelet in collaboration with, in fact, um, people that Dan knows really well. Uh, now, the, the great thing as we've done that is that we've seen God bless and bless and bless again the efforts of this generous church in Lani that saw the need and kept on planting churches all around us. Why? Because the earth one day will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And if we can just do our little bit to go in that direction, waiting for the Lord to return and fulfill his promises, then that is what we're being called to do. And that's what we want to do. Now in France, there's one church for every 33,000 people. Sociologists reckon that in order for a normal French person to be able to bump into a Christian who can explain and live out his faith in a credible way, there needs to be a penetration of one church for every 10,000 people. That's the minimum. So in France, we need to multiply by three the number of churches that are existing per capita. If we're going to go towards that goal of one church for every 10,000 people, we're far off that. We're making progress, but we're far off that. In Britain, it's much more like that. But there's still many, many places which lack a real uh, evangelical witness to the gospel. And so whether you look at France, whether you look at Great Britain, or whether you look at the whole of the continent of Europe, which is more like France than it is like Britain, we need to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches so we can move towards this great goal behind me. Now, I, I know that this is actually a verse about church planting uh, because Paul quotes this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So I want people to move from Habakkuk 2.14 to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and to follow with me the logic of Paul in that uh, chapter, the first six verses, um, and to see where Paul lands in respect of this verse. <coughs> and then, as we work through this, and as we understand what Paul was saying and why he was saying it, where I want people to get to is that a conclusion, a deep conviction, that if our churches are not somehow involved in church planting beyond our borders, then we are being disobedient to what Jesus is asking us to do. So that's quite a high stakes claim. What I want everybody to get to with me at the end of this talk is that if we are not involved in global church planting initiatives, 
then we're actually being disobedient to what God is asking us to do. And if you want to challenge me on that afterwards, I'm more than happy to explain in more detail why I think that. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and let's follow through the logic of verses 1 to 6. And Paul has been defending and describing his ministry in chapters 1 to 3 of uh, 2 Corinthians. He's been doing the same in 1 Corinthians to an extent. Um, but, but he gets to chapter 4 and he says, Therefore, having this ministry uh, by the mercy of God, which ministry is he talking about? He's talking about the ministry of preaching the gospel to people who don't know Christ and to planting churches with the people that come to faith through the preaching of the gospel. That's the ministry he's describing. Paul, in his ministry, and this applies also to 2 Timothy 2.2, when he's telling Timothy to watch and to copy, he's talking about the whole of his ministry. The church planting, gospel preaching, ambitious gospel advancing ministry that he had. Uh, we should never uh, restrict Paul's ministry to, to anything else that, than that whole uh, ambitious program that he had. So the ministry that he's talking about is the gospel preaching, church planting ministry that God entrusted him to bring the gospel to the nations. Uh, he says we have this ministry by the mercy of God. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing for all of us who are in ministry together. Uh, the ministry that you have, you have not because you're wonderful, not because you're holy, not because anything in you as such, but because God is merciful. And he's called you to collaborate with him in his grace, in this great project that he has for the world. What an encouragement. And because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. We could lose heart if we look at all the things around us that are discouraging. We could certainly lose heart. We could lose heart if we look at the challenges around us. We could lose heart for any number of reasons. But we don't lose heart because we have this ministry by the mercy of God. And because this ministry comes to us from God and by His grace, we don't have any recourse to, uh, as what Paul says in verse 2, disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Um, it's a great thing to believe in the sovereignty of God for salvation, to keep you faithful and true to the gospel. It's as the gospel is faithfully preached without any attempt to change it or to tamper with it in any way that people reveal themselves to have been chosen from before the foundation of the world to belong to God's great family. But if you change the word because you want to try that person in or the other person in, then you've no guarantee that what is happening in that person's life is a genuine conversion to the gospel. It's as you preach the true gospel of God without tampering in any way with it that people come to real faith in him and real churches are, are founded. And Paul uh, continues verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, because God, the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And Paul is moving towards his conclusion here. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And I look at verse 6 for a a condensed um, biblical theology of church planting and gospel preaching. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the, and here he quotes Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of God. This verse in Habakkuk 2.14, Paul is saying, is accomplished as I preach the gospel and plant churches. And as God uses that preaching of the gospel to shine the light, the light that he first summoned in Genesis chapter 1, 
Not for his people only, but for the whole world. The light that he summons in Genesis 1, he now summons to give light in people's hearts so that the knowledge of the glory of God is seen where? In the face of Christ. And that joins what we're saying together with number 6 and the psalm that Dan started off with, Psalm 67. Because the ironic blessing is not just for the people of Israel, as Psalm 67 shows us, it's for the whole world. The face of Jesus Christ is now the face of the glory that shines upon us. As the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is accessible only in Him, and as we preach Christ and plant churches, that knowledge becomes more and more accessible. And so the knowledge of the glory of the Lord begins to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Paul builds this crescendo and leaves us with our mouths hanging open in wonder. As I preach the gospel in Val d'Europe, and as God shines the light of his gospel in the hearts of individuals, and as they come together to form into churches, then he's beginning to fulfill Habakkuk 2.14, right here, right now, in real time, in real space. And it is absolutely wonderful to be part of that project. And the reason that Paul did that, and the reason the other apostles did that, was because they were obeying Jesus in Matthew 28. What they thought they were doing as they preached the gospel and planted churches was doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. How did they obey the Great Commission? Preach the gospel, planted churches. And so as we want to obey the Great Commission today, we must have a universal, cosmic vision of the gospel and church planting. So we're aiming towards this aim altogether. And so whether your church is in Oxford or in Lanyon or in Val or wherever it might be, we are all concerned not just with our patch but with the whole world. Because Jesus Christ deserves to be worshipped in every corner of the globe. And every corner of the globe deserves to hear the gospel so that they can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we bring these two things together, then we want to plant churches here and we want to plant churches over there. And unless we're committed to both, then we're not committed to this grand arc of the Bible storyline. And we're not committed to the Great Commission. And we're not committed to this kind of ministry that Paul has in mind. In Isaiah, uh, God says to his servant, it's too small a thing for you to be alive only to the people of Israel. I will make you to be a light for the nations. And I want to say to every church represented here, it's too small a thing for you to be a light to Oxford. You should not be a light to the nations. And because you're united by faith to Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we can do together. We can be a light to this world so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I just want to encourage you with that and give you that vision and call you to that vision and ask you to do everything in your parish churches to move towards it locally, regionally, in your country and beyond the borders of your country as far as you're able. So that's the Bible part. And so if you've got any questions about that, please feel free to uh, ask me those at the end. And as far as Acts 29 goes, I mentioned it in the personal story that I told about our church planting efforts and how we failed at those uh, and how I asked for help from Acts 29. What I found out when I asked Acts 29 for help was um, the, the, 
the reality of this um, catchphrase. Acts 29 wants to be a diverse global family of church planting churches characterized by theological clarity, cultural engagement and missional innovation. The, it's a bold and a, a brave thing to say. Thank you. Uh, so, but that's what we want to be. We want to be a diverse global family of church planting churches characterized by theological clarity, cultural engagement, and missional innovation. That's a kind of a, a triangle that works really well together. We want to be really clear on theology. As Paul says, the ministry that we have is to preach the pure gospel of God. And in the absence of that, we're not really doing God's work, we're doing our work uh, in some ways. We want to be as faithful as we possibly can be to God's revealed word um, in, in all its details. And that theological clarity doesn't mean that we retreat into our holy huddles, but it means that we go out into the world in cultural engagement. We want to find out what the culture is like so that we can speak to people who can listen. And I've heard said that evangelism is telling the gospel to people who are listening. Uh, there's no point, in, in a sense, telling the gospel to people who can't understand what you're saying and who aren't in a position or in a, in a disposition to listen to what you're saying. And missional innovation. That essentially means finding new ways of getting people into connection with the Word of God, the Word of the Gospel, and the community of the Gospel, the Church. Uh, that is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to reinvent mission. We're trying to find new ways of doing the mission that we have. Getting people into connection with the Bible and with the community of the Church. Um, in Action and the Global Family, there are 11 networks. Uh, there are five in the US, uh, two in Latin America, one in Spanish-speaking one in Brazil, um, one in southern part of Africa, one in Australia and New Zealand, one in Europe, and one for the rest of the world, which is called Emerging Regions, and also one in Canada. In Africa and Europe, there are 80 churches. 40 of them are here in GB Ireland, and 40 of them are on the continent, um, and that's uh, growing um, every six months or so, as we do assessment conferences and uh, churches come into the, the network. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit more about the distinctive things that we have uh, as Acts 29 Europe um, and Acts 29 as a family. We talk about theological clarity, so I want to be clear on what it is we want to be clear about. And here are the five distinctives that we have. We're committed to the sovereignty of God and salvation. Um, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, and our job is to announce the gospel clearly and appropriate for our context and trust the God of election for new birth and conversion. Uh, Paul says... Uh, that, that God told him that he had many people in this city as he went to Corinth. I think that's an encouraging thing to think. Uh, because God is the God who saves. And we go and we, we preach the gospel, trusting him to bring new life out, out of death. So, committed to the sovereignty of God's salvation. Uh, committed to the missionary identity of the church. Uh, a church that is no longer on mission is no longer a church. We will not be happy simply to plant a church but we want to initiate a movement of church planting churches through the training of church planters and church planting teams. Um, gospel centered. We believe that the Bible has a story of what God does for us in the cosmos and Jesus. And this good news preached, believed, lived is enough to save us, to train us, to motivate us, to transform us, to purify us. The gospel centrality of our network is something we want to be really uh, clear on led by the Spirit. Uh, the best strategies that we could have uh, are worthless without the presence of Jesus by His Spirit. He has promised to be with us, to guide us, to give us His power. 
In believing prayer, we depend on and lean on his strength. And the fifth distinctive is committed to complementary roles for men and women in the church. Leadership is all about service and sacrifice, as we see in Mark 10, 42-45. Even the Son of Man shall come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And God asks men to take the initiative and the responsibility for that, uh, as we see in 2 Timothy and Titus. So that men and women together can celebrate their differences and their equality. So that everyone in the team can flourish in using their gifts for the church. So those are the five theological distinctives that Acts 29 has. Um, Sovereignty of God and salvation. Mystery nature of the church. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Gospel centrality. And complementary rules for men and women in churches and church planting teams. And the way we put those five distinctives into practice concretely on the ground is through four strategic moves. And they are behind you uh, on the screen. Uh, Acts 29, the name Acts 29, it's kind of a a little bit um, quirky. It it means both the fact that we're trying to continue the mission of Acts, the book of Acts. Acts has 28 chapters and this is the 29th. We're not trying to write a new chapter of the Bible, but we're we're just trying to live out the, the spirit of the book of Acts. But it's also an acronym, Assessment, Coaching, Training and Support. And so we want to assess uh, the lead planter. Um, we want him to be assessed so that he is qualified to plant the church. And so we come alongside local churches and associations of churches to help them assess the people that they're going to send to plant the church. Uh, that is what we failed to do, if you remember, in Valdehop, when we failed at our, our first church plant uh, there in Valdehop. We failed to assess whether or not the man who was a godly man and a good preacher was actually equipped to plant a church. Uh, and so he wasn't actually equipped to plant a church and to lead a new work. Uh, and so we've done a bad job equipping him and helping him uh, and a bad job planning the church plant. And so I was desperate to know how to assess whether or not somebody was gifted to and qualified to plant a church. And, and actually I have an excellent assessment that really works very well uh, in this respect. Uh, second strategic move is to coach uh, the coaching of planter and teams. Um, more of the planter than the teams at the minute. Um, and so we want in the first 18 months of the church plant to be able to walk alongside uh, the church planter and to give him some coaching as he comes to milestones in the church planting journey that he's on. Help him think through some critical issues and work out how to do things better. Uh, training uh, of teams and planters. This is a really critical piece and something that we're working really hard on. Uh, people might have heard of Crosslands, um, the theological training centre. It is excellent. Uh, and it's a, an Axe Oak Hill initiative that has put together a curriculum um, so you can do foundation or up to master's level training. Uh, and it, it really does work extremely well at training the whole of the church to think missionally. And as the whole of the church learns to think missionally, the whole of the church is motivated and mobilised for church planting near and far. And we've seen this work uh, all over the place. Notably in Italy, um, which didn't have a culture of church planting, and as the Italian branch of Acts 29 translated the Crossland material into Italian, they saw a real movement of church planting get off the ground uh, amongst their churches. Um, so I can't recommend highly enough if you're interested in training for your church, for your church leaders, for your home group leaders, for whatever it might be, this is excellent material that will get all of your church on mission and thinking about not only their own local church, but mission beyond the borders of the local church and it's thrilling to see that happen uh, if you want more information about that I'd be more than happy to give you that information 
and then support <coughs> this support in Action Nine doesn't help them centrally, um, so it's not Action Nine Europe that gives out lots of money to church planters uh, that it were so, but we do have that kind of money. What we do have um, is a network of churches. Uh, I mentioned that there are 800 churches across the globe, and those churches are really generous to each other. Uh, and so what happens is many of the churches in the States that are more wealthy than the churches here in Europe want to partner with churches here in Europe um, so that they can get off to a good start. Um, they accelerate and amplify our efforts here in Europe by giving us material resources. Uh, and it is wonderful to see their jo- generosity being poured out time and time again to churches uh, here in Europe. There are church plants happening in Paris that wouldn't be happening if it weren't for the generosity of other Axonai churches across the world. And it's wonderful to see. And the, the great thing is that as churches in the States are generous to churches across the world, the churches that benefit from that generosity are stimulated to generosity themselves and start finding ways to give the little that they have to other <coughs> church plants in other parts of the world that are less well off than, than where they are. And so in Italy, that I've mentioned already, they've started supporting church planting across the Adriatic Sea in Albania. Um, there's a photograph yesterday uh, that came from JD, the leader uh, in Italy, um, celebrating a family retreat of church planters in Albania, uh, largely due to the generosity of the churches in Italy. It's an, a marvellous and a, a, a amazing thing to see. Um, and I can't encourage it highly enough to have in your church uh, a mobilised team of people thinking about mission in another part of the world. Perhaps going to visit those people, coming back with stories, having people from that church plant visit your church and tell you about mission in a different part of the world that's to do with church planting to do with the multiplication of churches. Um, it's really a, a thrilling thing uh, to be involved with. So we assess, we assess coach, create and support uh, church plants um, across Europe. And there is a recent addition to this suite of ideas or resources that we have, and that is our three collaboratives. <coughs> so the three collaboratives are a reflection on the verse that we've just been talking about, Habakkuk 2.14, because if we want the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, then we can't just think about big cities, for example, as the places that God's glory needs to be revealed and preached. It would seem to me that in the last 20 years, there's been a major focus on planting churches and preaching the gospel in the major urban centres of the world, the New Yorks and the Londons and the Parises. Uh, and that's great, we need to do that. But as we've done that, uh, as a broad evangelical church, we've tended to neglect other places where it is more difficult to plant churches. Why? Because fewer people want to move into these areas. Uh, there are fewer resources that are attached to these areas, and so they're unlikely to become financially self-sufficient or financially generous in the near future, if at all. Uh, and just demographically, it's much more difficult to work in these kinds of areas than it is to work in big cities where there's a flux of people coming through all the time. And so actually and I have thought carefully about our global mission as a church. And we've tried to identify the key strategic areas that we must be engaged in if we want to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill all types of cities on the earth. All types of places on the earth. And not just the places that look good and chic on a, on a prayer card. And those three um, particular places are church and heart places, i.e. inner city deprived areas with high rates of uh, substance abuse, high rates of mental illness, high rates of divorce, high rates of violence, all those kinds of social problems that congregate, generally speaking, in the same places. Those are places that need churches. And so Axion is committed to training and supporting church planting efforts in those places as a priority. And that is across all of our 11 networks. 
uh, uh, we want to be focused on that and call people to do that. We cannot, if we want to respect the universal lordship of Jesus and the lack of favoritism that Jesus shows when we prayed that earlier, we cannot afford to neglect um, that part of our world. Similarly, uh, for rural places, um, people flock to cities and cities become magnets for people and resources. Uh, and often in the rural places, uh, there's very little mobility uh, and churches close down. Not just churches, in fact, but in France, um, medical doctors and schools and all kinds of services close down one after the other because people go to the cities and nobody wants to stay in the small rural towns. And actually, I think that people in rural uh, societies need churches. We need to preach the gospel and plant churches in those settings too. But that calls for a different set of skills, uh, a different uh, perspective, a different attitude, a different expectation in terms of timeline and resources. And so we want to put resources into training people to think that through well and to do it well. And the third uh, great priority that we have is Islam. Um, the first two collaboratives are running already. Um, the third collaborative, Islam, is more problematic to go off the ground but we're working at that this year. If you're interested in those two collaboratives here in Oxford and in your churches, um, what we do is we run uh, workshops that last one day um, that churches can organise in their areas and we'll get our people who are becoming experts in those fields to come and to run the workshop and to uh, inform people in, in any particular city or region about how to think through planting churches in hard places or planting churches in rural areas. And so if that's something that would interest you, uh, contact Dan or contact me and we'll set that up. Um, it would be a, a great pleasure and a privilege to do that. So there we have uh, a, a kind of a thumbnail shot of what Axe is and what it's trying to do. Uh, theological clarity, and I'll describe what that is. Uh, trying to think through the nuts and bolts of church planting, assessment, coaching, training and support. And trying to identify for the global church and for us where are the areas that we need to go for to be faithful to the global call of Jesus so that the whole earth can be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea?